This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, community and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So we find ourselves at this very familiar place, a place at which we find ourselves every year. That's the New Year's. We have just crossed into this new year of 2022, and uh, most most of us uh, are, are accustomed to adopting or planning some type of resolution. It's very common to make a New Year's resolution. And listen, you can make a resolution any time of the year. It just seems to be the new year seems to be a very convenient time for us to focus on doing something new or renewing something, new year, new me, you know, all of those things. So it's not uncommon and there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, how should we be making our resolutions? Because I, I don't even, I don't want to go through down, you know, a bunch of debates on should we make resolutions or not. I think it's good to anything that's going to be more helpful, anything that's going to help make us look more like Jesus, anything that's going to help us grow in a direction that we're supposed to grow. If it's a resolution that does it, awesome, go for it. But how should we do it? How do we determine the kinds of resolution that we should be indexing, that we should be prioritizing, that we should be emphasizing? What does it mean to to make a resolve? What does it mean to resolve to do something differently or to resolve to do something better? The 10 most common resolutions, according to several studies that have done over the last several years, 10 most common are these, to exercise more, to lose weight, to get organized, to learn a skill or a hobby, to live life to the fullest, to save more or spend less, to quit smoking, to spend more time with family and friends, to travel more and to read more. Now, every one of those things are good things. I'm sure that you, like myself, have some of these uh, as goals. Maybe you didn't make a resolution, but that's just an ongoing goal, right? You'll see something that say, I need to do more of that, or I need to cut back on that. I need to do something differently. The truth of the matter about resolutions, however, is that roughly almost 46% of the people who make resolutions are successful. So 54%, over one out of two people, really, that who have made resolutions will be, uh, will not be successful. Or a better way to put it is really roughly about maybe 45 out of 100 people, 46 out of 100 people uh, will uh, be successful. So, so the odds are that we're not going to be really good at keeping these resolutions. However, that doesn't mean it's not good to make a resolution because another statistic shows that only 4% of non-resolvers, and that phrase is to refer to the folks who didn't make a New Year's resolution, but they had a goal that they wanted to achieve that year. They just maybe didn't make a a formal resolution. Only 4% of those folks are successful in reaching their goals. So there's something about goal setting that we all would agree. There's something about setting these, these, uh, these identifying marks that we want to hit in order to reach a certain goal. That's, that's a good approach. That's a good habit of a successful person. But here's another thing to notice about that list. Nine 
out of the 10 that I listed are rooted in self. They're rooted in things that we want for ourselves. They're rooted in things that we, the expectations that we have of ourselves. The only one is rooted in others. Only one is rooted in things that are outside of ourselves. In other words, most of our New Year's resolutions, they underscore a deeper fact, a deeper issue, and that is we resolve to love ourselves far more than we resolve to love others. That's just how it goes. We resolve to love ourselves more than we resolve to love others. So what I want to submit to you today in our text, as we begin this year, I want to give you the one resolution that if you do not make, you will be in sin. I know that's high stakes. There's one resolution that if you fail to meet, if you fail to make, and if you fail to keep this resolution, then you will be in sin. And that resolution comes uh, from 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 22 through 25. So let's read it. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, when you really think through what Peter is talking about here, he's talking about this, this call. He's giving this charge to this complete selfless love for the neighbor, for your brother, for your sister. He calls us to, he's encouraging God's people and encouraging followers of Jesus to show sincere brotherly love for each other. Now, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, you, you recognize that Peter is merely relaying Jesus's message that the greatest command is to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others in the ways that we love ourselves. Right? That's the greatest commandment. Love God, Love others the way we love ourselves. I love to point this out that the Bible never really needs to tell you to love yourself. Now, there's a whole other aspect that we can talk about as far as unhealthy view of self and ways that we may be downing ourselves. But at the end of the day, the Bible doesn't need to tell us how to love ourselves because we're kind of born knowing how to take care of ourselves. We may select, we may choose not to at times, but we know how to love ourselves. We know how to meet our needs. We know how to meet even our wants, right? We know how to do that. Babies come out of the womb knowing or requiring ways to love themselves. Put me first. Put me on, you know, I need this. Meet my needs. We know how to do that. Baba never has to tell us to love ourselves. It presupposes that we will love ourselves. And in so doing, the scriptures say, now, the way that God presupposes that you're going to love yourself, love other people that way. Love other people in that same way. And so, Peter is just kind of restating in some ways 
the very lesson that he learned from Jesus. The, the, the ways that Jesus uh, worded these things in both Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, all the followers had heard this. But I would say that Peter is also incorporating the new command Jesus gave. Because remember, when Jesus said that, he was just quoting the law, the greatest commandment. When someone said, Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, you, you know the commandments. You do this, 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 and that. You understand what it is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. Those are the, great, those are the two greatest commandments. Then later, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. You remember that in John 13, where he says, love one another as I have loved you. So we've called that, we've, many times we've said that's Jesus giving the golden rule and then elevating it to the platinum rule. The platinum rule is don't just love people the way that you want to be loved. Love people the way God has loved you. That's a greater love, right? Because, and it calls us to something greater as well, because I may be in a different mood and I may not love myself well. And so I may not feel the need to show you that kind of love because I'm not showing it to me or I'm not caring for myself well. So I won't feel this, 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 uh, calling. I won't feel, uh, the, the, this kind of, uh, mandate to care for you in the same way because I'm not doing it for myself or no one may have cared for me. And so I might be callous and go, I haven't had that. You can, you got to deal with that on your own. So that whole thing can fall short. But here, Jesus elevates and says, do more than that. I'm calling you to love people the way I have loved you. So it causes us to do some deep soul searching. A, have I been loved by God? If so, do I walk in that? Do I live in that? Does that op is that my operating system? Does that govern the way that I interact with people? Does it govern the way that I love my family? Does it govern the way that I deal with myself? If it does, then it should not be a foreign thing then to love people the way God has loved me because I'm operating, constantly meditating on how God has loved me. How has he sacrificed for me? How has he put me on the, as, as a priority? So, so Peter passes this same message by encouraging his audience to grow in their love for each other. And this is a love that goes beyond shallow expressions of love into this deep, deep, heartfelt, sincere love. So, so love, there's a, there's a group that I grew up listening to called Commission. They had this song called Love Isn't Love Until You've Given It Away. Love is something that you actually do. It's this verb. It's this commitment. So what does that mean? That means that it's not enough to just have shallow kind of cliche phrases that we use to go, I love you. Bye. Love you. Take care. It's okay to say, I love you. That, that's a good thing. But the bigger issue, we've said this a million times. Love is something that is demonstrated far more than it is declared. So a love that you genuinely have for your neighbor should be something that is so loud in your demonstration that it won't even matter how you declared it. People are going, I experience love from this person. We experience love from God. And so far too often, the problem for us is our attempts at love are tainted with a degree of self-interest we tend to consider how things will benefit us. 
we tend to consider what we will get out of the other person or what it will cost us to love them. And I don't mean what, what it will cost us in terms of there's damage coming to me or some kind of toxic relationship. We're not talking about that. But it's like, man, if I were to love them well, it's going to cost me this. I don't know if it's worth that. So let me just abstain. That's not the kind of love that Jesus has called us into. How do we know that? Because the love of God is on display in Jesus. Y'all, we just celebrated the gift of Jesus during the Advent Christmas season. We have been focusing and we have seen and we have looked and we have celebrated the way that God's love is on display in the way that Jesus celebrated outsiders, the way Jesus reached out to the, to the one that would have been castigated and considered the least of these in society, the way that Jesus would set his own stuff aside to heal the sick, to advocate for those who do not have the kind of influence to advocate for themselves, to speak up for those who don't have access to the levers of power, that can ensure equal protection and equal provision and, and equal punishment, equal justice. God has shown us that in the way that Jesus has healed the sick, restored broken people, forgave sinners. All of that is on display in how Jesus has loved us. He has shown us the ultimate, perfect, and infinite love of God in the very death of Jesus. That's why Jesus pointed to this kind of love when he said, there is no greater love than one who would lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what love is. And when we say lay down his life, we don't just mean your physical life, but also there's no greater love than one who would lay down their lifestyle. The ways in which you live, are you willing to pull back in order to genuinely love? When I say love, that means I genuinely am seeking the thriving of your well-being. I don't want you to just exist. I don't want you to just survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to walk in fullness and wholeness. Have access to the things that will ensure that you will flourish. That's what it means to love someone. It doesn't mean to be a fan on Facebook or to like a status. It means I genuinely want to do, if there's anything within my time, talent, or treasure that can be used to help you flourish well in a healthy, holistic way, then I'm committed to doing that. Why? Because God is committed to doing that in us. What did he say? I came that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly, in abundance. What it means to live this promised kingdom life, God wants to give us that in abundance. So we should want to give that to one another. This is why John sums this up again in 1 John 3, 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. This is what true love should look like. In other words, love should cost us something. I'm not saying that love should mean you're in pain and love should mean you tolerate abuse or anything like that, but we should feel, right? We should feel the fact that we love a person. We should feel the energy and whatever is expended in order to love someone. The same way that when you go do a good workout, you know that you worked out well if you feel it in your body. 
you know that your muscles are rebuilding well when you feel the soreness, right? Because that muscle has a slight tear and it's a good tear because when that muscle tears, it rebuilds and comes back stronger. So when you know you worked out, but you don't feel any sense of that in your body, you're like, man, I don't know if I really worked out well today. I don't, maybe it was just maintenance, but I don't feel like I did anything new in my body today. But when that soreness hits, that's when you're like, I, I did some real work. Those muscles are rebuilding and they're coming back stronger. The definition I'm looking for is probably going to come in a little bit more uh, uh, resolutely because of the work that I put in and I can feel it. Maybe I'm walking a little bit different because I'm a little sore from working legs. And I did those squats and I can feel it. But at the end of the day, the reason why I know the work is there is because I feel the pain, that good pain in my body. And so we should feel some of the residue of the work that we've put in in loving one another. If you don't feel that in the way that you love people, you likely are not loving them the way that God has loved you. If your love can just be relegated to statements that you make, aphorisms that you quote, a cliche that's plastered on your wall, liking a status or posting a status, but not actually substantively doing something to genuinely love and to care for what it means to see where people are hurting, what it means to see what people need in order to subsist and not just exist, but to flourish and thrive. We should feel that. We should, we should genuinely feel that. Let me ask you this, how different would this year be if we resolved to show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart in which we love one another constantly. That's what the passage says. Think about that passage again. Show sincere brotherly love. That brotherly love word is the word um, <clears throat> from which we get the word Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, right? And, and really today, that's a, a word that in, includes brothers and sisters, siblings. It's a sibling type of love. It's like a family, familial type of love. And with family, there's nothing you can do that stops you from being family when, and a healthy family. There's nothing you can do that would stop us from going, you know what? You need this. I got you. This is something that's, that you're in need of. I'm going to do what I have to do. And if I don't have it, I'm going to find ways to get those resources to make sure you have it. Why? Because I love you. And I want you to thrive. As long as you're not wanting to do something that's going to harm you. But if there's something you need in order for you to make it, I'm going to make that happen for you because I love you. And I don't just love you in word. I love you indeed. And so I want to genuinely do what's necessary in order to help you reach whatever it is you need to reach in order to be whole and to be healthy and to be holy and to be able to follow God and to be able to love him well. So how might think about this last year and every year we could look back. Can you honestly say that we, specifically in this country, have done a really good job of loving each other? Just be honest. Can you say for yourself that you've done a really good job of loving others? Maybe in some ways, yes. Maybe in some ways, no. If we use this as the standard, right? If we use the standard, sincere, so that means the intentions of my heart have to be rooted in God's intentions for that image bearer. So if I'm sincere, that means that there is a God, I am so moved. Even if there's something that at first I would not have been moved to do, it's because of your heart that now my heart is inclined that way. That's sincerity. 
sincerity that's rooted in God's heart, not just our own. Lord, I want to do right. I want to be able to please you well. I want to be able to honor you and bring glory to your name. And I don't want to do it in just some big ostentatious kind of churchy way. I'm going to get up and pray this great prayer in King James English, or I'm going to get up and recite enough Bible scripture so that people know that I'm holy, or I'm going to give some great oratorical sermon that make people make people think, wow, you must be really anointed and gifted. None of that is what we're talking about here. None of it is. We've said this before, and we'll have to go back to this again. Giftedness is not the same as fruitfulness. I know your fruit from the way you love me. I know your gifts from the way you perform. That's very different. Gifts can be good, for sure. Gifts can serve a purpose, but your fruit is the thing that actually sustains relationships. Your fruit is the thing that makes people trust you. When people think about what it means to be a good friend, and we know that uh, 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 Pastor David Park preached about what it means to be a good friend. When you think about what it means to be a genuine, genuinely good friend, that means somebody who has demonstrated a true, sacrificial, sincere, brotherly love, sibling type of love. If I know that you love me in that way, I know I can trust you. If I know that I can, uh, rel- if I know that you have loved me in a way that says I'm willing to lay things down so that I can make sure you're good, I'm willing to trust you. I know that there's genuine sincerity there, and I know that sincerity comes from a pure heart. So listen, why does why does God have to include sincerity and in doing it from a pure heart? Y'all, we in the South, we know how to be nasty nice better than anybody. And church folk all over, I don't care where you're from, know how to do nasty nice better than anybody. We will look at you. We will pray for you. We will uh, uh, sing songs together and then completely walk the other way when we see each other in the street. Or when we hear that somebody is in need, go the other way. Or when we hear that somebody is in pain or suffering, look the other way. Or when we know that there are issues in society that are affecting people like the people that sit in our pews and we look the other way or we vote the other way because we don't really love them. We just love having them around us. That's not love. That's not sincerity. What would happen if we got rid of all of those old bedclothes, put on these new robes of genuine, sincere, pure heart love? What would we look like? What would our society look like? How might our church operate differently if we thought more about what we could give each other rather than what we can get from each other? How might our church or our society look different if we loved each other enough to go, I realize that there may be a place from which I come that does not recognize or include your experience of living. And so I am just by nature going to overlook because of my own biases. I'm going to overlook and maybe even try to defend the very things that are harming you and where you are in America. What if we started with that kind of love that says, I'm going to start with the love that wants to genuinely and sincerely understand your pain and your story so that I start with you and not start with me? What if I wanted to start with listening to your story versus wanting to defend mine? How might we look? How might we love? How different would our society be? But we struggle with this 
with this idea of loving your neighbor. Because, and, and this might be really controversial, but it's true, historically, Christians, we've been really bad neighbors. We've been bad neighbors to, to our own communities in many ways. We've been bad neighbors to each other in many ways. And the reason why is because for many of us, especially in America, I can say that for many of us, we have, we all have an identity, maybe even multiple identities, right? And we have different ways that we identify ourselves and different things that are very important to us, different things that we emphasize and we close fistedly kind of hold on to about who we are and what we think is important, all of those things. And that's fine. But in many ways, we take our identities and then we invite Jesus in to that identity, combine that, syncretize that, and then call that our Christianity. And so when people begin to point out things that might actually not fit in with who God is, and it actually hits on some things in us that, that don't look so good, or at least it's being alleged that it doesn't look good in us, we get, we get offended. We get angry, we get defensive, and we divide. What would happen if someone was able to show, hey, listen, I know that you're holding on to this particular thing or this particular position, but I just need you to know that not only do I have an experience that says something different, but there's a part of God's heart over here that says that that thing right there actually needs to change. Many of us, we struggle. We don't want to hear that. So, so we get to a point where we're like, nope, my identity that was already formed before Jesus came in, then I let Jesus kind of baptize it a little bit. And now I have this viewpoint that I feel like it's all God, but really it's all me. And then people are trying to call those things out in me and I don't want to hear it. What would happen if we love differently? What would happen if we weren't just believers, but we were actually followers? That we actually loved in a way that a believer should be loving. So this goes beyond just, I know I'm, I'm a believer. How do you know? Because I said a prayer. I said that prayer of faith. I had this spiritual experience. We love pointing these out, y'all. And I, and I think this can be very dangerous. I, I grew up in a church tradition in which the way you knew for sure that you were uh, a Christian is because of some experiential moment. And that experiential moment was enough to give you the assurance that you were good, that you were uh, God's, and that you were a Christian, and that you were saved. So I said this prayer, or I had this spiritual experience, or I was baptized this way, or I came out of the water and this was happening, or I've got this, this, this thing, or I felt God telling me X, Y, and Z. All those things may be fine, but at the end of the day, what is the fruit here? You could have said all of the prayers, done all of the acts, had all of the gifts and spiritual gifts and all these wonderful things, and still don't seem to be seeking out genuine love of your neighbor. And now if all of that is there, we see that in 1 Corinthians 13, I could, I could speak in the tongues of angels and, and do all these wonderful things, but if I don't have love, I'm a, I'm a loud clanging symbol. I'm just making noise. And y'all, historically, Christians have been good at making noise. I'm not saying we haven't done good things, but we've done a lot of loud things that have not been a lot of loving things. That's a part of our history. We have done a lot of pontificating and, and preaching sermons and singing songs while people are harmed, people are killed, people are completely forgotten. And we have a long 
history, millennia of history, where that has been the case. So we need to actually be asking ourselves the question, what would it really look like to set a re resolution to love in the way that God loves us? Because we still haven't gotten it right. We still haven't found a way to do it well. We find a way to, to, to not love each other well in so many ways. We struggle to, those who profess to love Jesus struggle with loving when it comes to talking about racial justice. We struggle with loving when it comes to talking about a very contentious election. We struggle with loving when, it when we are talking about what it means to genuinely take steps, even if I don't like it, take steps to ensure that other people aren't infected with a potentially deadly or even life-altering disease, life-altering virus. We are so worried and we will fight and not be loving over the issue of vaccinations. We will not be loving on the issue of wearing face masks. That's what this last year has shown us. This, we don't even have to think about this coming up here. This last year has shown us that when it comes to genuinely caring about image bearers, genuinely caring about those, especially those who are not advocated for, especially those who are not loved well, who are not often protected well by our own government and by our justice system. We're told, Jesus tells us to index those even more highly. We're supposed to love them well, and yet we struggle in doing it because we don't love each other well. What would happen if we did what Peter tells us here? What would happen if we genuinely looked at this passage and took it seriously that we said lord help me to show let me resolve let this be my resolution help me to show sincere brotherly love for one another and lord help it come from a pure heart so that i can love one another constantly so that means that it's not just a sometimes i think that we will feel good about loving because we had a moment of loving someone and we did a really good thing in that moment of loving someone. And so we walk away patting ourselves on the back. And we know that if anybody else were to point out, this is how, this is, this is so sad and incredulous that we're this way, but this is who we are. If there's ever a moment where I fail to love someone well, and then that is brought to my attention, what I do is I recount that good time, that good memory, that good moment of loving someone. Oh, no, no, you can't. I, how can you say I'm not loving? Remember that time when I did X, Y, and Z? So we're living off of the, we're resting on the laurels of our past and we're resting on our resume when we should be resting in the constant love of Jesus, a constant love that makes us practice that love constantly. But we, we, we struggle with doing that. We fail oftentimes to do that. So we're not doing it. Either we do it, but it's not from a pure place. I'm going to show love so that I can bring this up later. Or I'm going to show love so that I can prove to myself that I'm not so bad. Or I'm going to show love because at least other people will know that I'm not so bad. As opposed to, I'm going to show love because this is how God loves me. I'm going to show love because I know that God loves and because God loves anything that's not like God, God hates. So in hating the thing God hates, that's also a way that I actually get to love my neighbor. How, how, how can I say that? Well, if God hates injustice, why does God hate injustice? Because of what it does to those who are made in his image. So if God hates injustice, 
then shouldn't I? And if I hate injustice, that's a function of loving my neighbor, loving my brother, loving my sister. So what would it look like then for this year to be a year where we are so motivated and resolved to love our neighbor the way God has loved us? So resolved to, to love in a way that is pure, that is, uh, that is rooted in a pure heart, that is rooted in sincerity. And then the final thing is, God doesn't just give us, Peter, uh, God speaking through Peter doesn't just give us the what, he gives us the why. He doesn't just give us the, 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 this idea of here's the, here's the thing you, you should do, here's the imperative, he gives us the indicative. Here is the thing that should undergird why you're loving this way. And what does he say? Because you've been born again. Not of a perishable seed. Why does he have to bring that up? Because if you were born again of something that's perishable, then you need to keep going back and being born again and born again and born again. So you can be born again and be changed and then not changed and changed and not changed. Why? Because that seed is perishable. That goes back to the loving constantly. You love always because that love should never go away. The love with which God ransomed you is eternal. And if that love is inside of you, it should therefore be eternal, which means you should always be moving constantly. Lord, how do I perfect this love for these people, for this person, for my neighbor, for my friends, for my family? What does it mean to regularly love? So he says, you've been, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You hear these words? Constant, living, non-perishable, uh, um, enduring. These are words that, that convey permanence. Our love should be something that is a rock, that is solid, that is unmovable, impermeable, something that does not change, immutable. That's the kind of love that people can trust. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of rock that people hold to. I saw a survey recently where people were asking, why do we see such a mass exodus from the church? Now, it's really easy. It's really easy to, to come up with reasons that put the blame on everybody else. Why are people leaving the church? Well, because people are so self-focused. Well, people are just so liberal. They don't care about the heart of God. Well, people are just, you know, they have so many different things that take their attention. These young millennials and younger generations, they just don't have commitment. They, they struggle with commitment issues. It's easy to do all of that. We blame the people all the time. People have done that for generations. But the truth of the matter, and this survey showed that a large number of people, not just younger people, there are older people too leaving, but a large number of people are leaving, not because of these issues that are, you know, in the Bible that people don't like and they've left. These issues have always been there. The real reason people, many people are leaving is because they are seeing the hypocrisy and the lack of love for other image bearers in community. And people don't feel safe there anymore. They don't feel safe being in this place where people will at least profess to love and then not demonstrate that love. And not only not demonstrate that love, but people have seen the church by and large weaponized and co-opted in order to even pass legislation that helps love people even less. And so people are really at this place where they're going, if this is the church, do not sign me up. 
I know that we, we're going to talk more about this as we go through our Church Hurt series, but at the end of the day, we've got to understand and take ownership of the fact that many people are frustrated by Christianity because of the failure of the very Christians who profess to believe it, because of the failure of seeing actual love from these people, a love that demonstrates itself by saying, I want to see you flourish well. I don't want to flourish at your expense because that's not reflective of the God who saved me. This is truly what God is calling us into. This is the only resolution that matters. This matters more than any other resolution we can make. Because ultimately, and it's easy for us to do this, right? This becomes a hard resolution to make if you think the gospel is primarily about your personal salvation. If you think it is almost exclusively about your personal salvation, you will not keep this resolution well, and you will be in sin. Hear me again. If you think gospel is all about personal salvation, I'm going to tell you, you likely will find yourself in sin and probably unrepented sin at that. Because if you think it's just, I am saved and I'm going to heaven and I know that God is with me and I can't wait. I'm just ready for him to return or I'm ready to die. Whenever that time comes, I'm just so good. I'm focused on me. I'm focused on my prayer life and focused on all these things. If that is primarily and almost exclusively what your faith looks like, what is the impetus to love your neighbor well here? You see, we have created this idea of this personal salvation versus a heart that prays, Lord, I'm praying for your kingdom to come near. I'm praying to see aspects of your kingdom encroach into the kingdom that is now. This kind of faith is not, yay me, yay God, I'm saved. The real, the real issue is not only am I saved, what am I saved from? Okay. And what am I saved to? bringing God's kingdom near. The way that I love my neighbor is the way that I bring God's kingdom near. So if I can sincerely and constantly pray, Lord, I am praying for your kingdom, every aspect of your kingdom, all the ways that your heart is on display in your kingdom, all the ways that your righteousness is on display in your kingdom, all the ways that your judgment is on display in your kingdom, all the ways that you advocate for justice in your kingdom. I am praying for that to be true here right now. That's what your salvation should look like. That's what we should resolve to do in loving our neighbor. That's the reason why we change our mindset to it's time to go to church versus it's time to be the church. It's hard when we've had these times of separation and we have all struggled and longed to be around one another. And over the last year and a half, almost two years of being separated and not having corporate worship, all of those things are so hard and they're hard for me. And I know that they're hard for you. But I also hope and I think that this has helped us get a better understanding of what it means to be the church even when we are scattered. So we don't we try not to use the words, it's time to go to church, as opposed to it's time to be the church. Because being the church is an invitation to faithful presence and good, godly loving of the neighbor. That's what it means. So what would happen if we made a resolution, if you made a resolution, if each one of us said, A, Lord, show me all the ways that I don't love well. Lord, 
remove from me the, the excuses that I use, that I've told myself, the false narratives that I've told myself about myself so that I don't have to feel so badly about the ways in which I fail to love well. I pray that over this, over the previous year, you and I, we would spend time looking back and going, even I can see things, maybe things happen in the news and I can see a heart posture that I had that clearly was not loving. Or maybe it's not that clear and I need God to elucidate that and bring clarity to my heart. May that be our resolution. Lord, show me all the ways in my heart that are not loving or that I've not demonstrated it. Or show me the things that I've done that on the surface, on the face of it, they are facially loving, but at the heart of it are not sincere. Or show me the ways in which I may have loved here and then cut it off and said, that's enough. I've done my loving for the year. I'm good. I'm going back to doing what I'm doing. Y'all, this would be such a different place for all of us if we resolved to show sincere, brotherly love for each other from a pure heart and love one another constantly. Sincerity, purity, constantly. That's what we're called to. So I don't know what your resolutions are. I'm sure you got several good ones. I'm, I'm trying to make some myself. And I don't know how many of them you're going to keep. I don't know how many of them you're going to break. I don't know how you're, you know, you'll go through maybe a month or so of feeling bad about not keeping the resolutions to keep it moving. That is a muscle memory as well. Making a resolution, not keeping it, feeling bad and going, okay, whatever, and keep it moving. My prayer is that that would not be the case with this. This is the most important resolution we could ever make. And if we don't keep this resolution, we indeed are in sin. And God has called us to something better. And not only has he called us to something better, he has demonstrated the better for us and then invited us into the better with him. So let's resolve to do better. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, new beginnings. Thank you for the opportunity to always start fresh, to always start over, to improve, to correct. God, I, I'm so thankful, Father, that you don't just keep us where we are. And you don't just, I know we love to say you love us and real love won't require you to change. But God, I'm so thankful that your love requires change. I'm so thankful that your love changes us in ways that we can't change ourselves. So God, as we embark on yet another year, and we don't know all of the ups and downs that are coming, the ways in the same way that we did not know the ups and downs from this previous year. God, we are coming out of a year where we have dealt with incredible loss, incredible suffering, but there's also been incredible joys and incredible moments. God, there's just a roller coaster of emotions, a bevy of emotions that we are bringing into this year. And Lord, with all of the uh, the, 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 the ups and downs of our feelings and the ways in which our, our thoughts and our minds are oscillating all over the place. God, I pray that you would ground us, tether us to your heart in such a way that we realize that there is no greater resolution that we could ever make at any point in time, at any time of the year. There's no better resolution we could make than to resolve to love the way you love. 
So God, I pray that you will give us a deep longing for your love, not a love that we have defined, not a love that we have created, not a love that we have uh, chosen for ourselves and invited you into to sanction it and to bless it. God, any ways that we love that are not of you, break them, shatter them, and give us the resolve to actually resolve to do better. God, we know that you have given us not only the things that we do, but as Philippians says, you gave us the will to do those things. So God, give us the very will to resolve to love better. Convict us of the ways we haven't loved well and comfort us with the promise that you give us to continue to renew us. We know that you're on a mission to make all things new. And in that mission, will you make our resolution this year for this new year, a new refreshed commitment to love with sincerity, with purity, and to do it constantly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive this benediction, this final blessing from God. We re recite these words from Jude often because I feel like it creates such a, a picture and it shares this truth of what God has promised to do constantly. You see the sincerity of God's heart. You see the purity of God's heart. And you realize that this is something he is always doing constantly. Let these words wash over you and then move you to love others in the same way. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's to the only wise God, our savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen and happy new year. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.